Welcome back to Scale Up. It's Didier. Yeah, hey, it's Rod here. Doug English. We had a board meeting in Sydney with... This was before we did the Series A, of course. Uh, it wasn't a real board meeting, but we had... Uh, we were catching up with... Scott Farquhar and Paul McCartney advised us a lot in the early days. They were sort of our advisors and... We were, we were discussing the topic of should we raise or not. You know, our customers love the products. We, we don't have any clear competitors in the market. Didier had been sort of talking with some of the VCs in, in the US at that stage. And as a founding group, we were trying to come to the uh, united decision around should we raise money or not. We had about 15 employees, we were profitable, we were growing month on month. We could take money if we wanted to, there's people that are interested, and it's whether or not do we take, do we take money or not. Um, and we could see a path forward where we could continue to kind of just grow and own the, own the company ourselves, 100%. And it was interesting talking with Scott. He was actually comparing... Um, his situation buying HipChat and seeing that uh, succeed. They had been watching this product, this sort of, I guess, uh, supplementary product in their suite grow over the last year or so where uh, each quarter they'd been growing the user base. They were really happy in the way that that product was developing and then all of a sudden Slack happened. And this massive competitor that came in and was just ridiculous growth numbers that has really taken off in that market. His advice to us at that stage was, if you've got a business case that's working, you've got a product that works, you've got no clear competitors, that's the time to put your foot down and go as fast as you possibly can because it's not going to last. You don't want to slow growth. Um, If you can accelerate growth, go for it because otherwise a competitor will come in over the top of you. So his advice at that stage was raise and raise now and, and try and grow faster. And we sort of talked about it and came to the conclusion that we should and talked about the sort of terms that we thought we'd look for. And then we were driving back to the airport the following day uh, after having the advisory meeting and sort of the end point was, yep, okay, cool, if you, you, know, if you get those terms, that would be great. And Didier's phone rings and um, so he's ha- he has this conversation, he gets off the phone and he says to us, um, he says to us, we've been given a term sheet. And, uh, and the, three, the rest of us in the taxi are like, no way, come on. Thought he, thought he was having us on, but uh, it turned out, yeah, it was, uh, we'd been given a term sheet from, um, from Felicis that uh, ended up leading our Series A. So yeah, that's how it all started. From Launch Vic, this is Scale Up, a look into how CogChaAmp have gone about their massive journey over the past five years, from the enthusiasm to create a business that would scale, to co-founders, to employees, a big client, and now venture capital funding. If CogChaAmp's at all familiar, you'll know they've gone much further than that. I'm Courtney Carthy. If you're brand new, welcome to the pod. Welcome back if you've been listening along as we jump from topic to topic. We're capital raising this episode. As Doug mentioned, Slack turned up as HipChat's competitor. CultureAmp is still running against no one but the skepticism of potential customers and investors. I'm headed into the opposite direction of their taxi with a term sheet. I've just driven from the airport into Sydney for my own meeting with one of those first round investors, Bill Barty. When did you first come across CultureAmp? Oh, gee, five, six years ago, probably. Yeah. When they were oh, first you. getting started. They um, 
they were a little company and I got to know Didier and gee, he and I probably, well, we probably met, I guess, about five years ago and started talking. And right. So where have we moved to here? What, what building are we in? This is the Australian Technology Park, part of the startup community here in, in um, Sydney. And uh, this is the old uh, train station. And this is the old place where they used to work on all the trains and make the trains work uh, and repair all the trains, things like that. Bill, he's the founder of Blackbird Ventures, also now running Main Sequence Ventures, which is CSIRO's venture fund. We scrounge up some chairs and sit down at the end of a long function table. Bill, you can probably tell, has spent some linguistically formative time in the U.S. I grew up actually on the east coast of the U.S., right under the nose of the Apollo space program. And so I got introduced to uh, technology and and all things rockets uh, in those early days and sort of fell in love with engineering, fell in love with space and uh, have been sort of a tech nerd ever since. I describe myself as uh, an assistant to the best companies I can invest in. Through Blackbird <laughs> Ventures, Bill has invested at Series A, B and the latest round, a $20 million Series C in 2017. So I met Didier, uh, the co-founder of CultureAmp, about five years ago, and uh, really liked him as an individual. It was immediately sort of evident that he was a first-class human being. Um, Then I got to know a little bit about his ideas and his company, and got to know a little bit more about his co-founders. And there were sort of, uh, you know, three things that struck me. One was that over time it became evident, evident that the entire team at CultureAmp, the entire management team and founding team were A-plus individuals. So we like to work with really smart people um, who know what they're doing and have a passion for building something great. The second thing was I really loved the problem area that they were in. Um, All businesses are made and or broken by people. So they were in the business of helping to identify problems and resolving those people problems. So I thought it was an area that was uh, that was very important, one of the most important areas in business. And I guess the third thing was that most of the technology software that had been used to date uh, up until you know, CultureAmp and a few others came along uh, by uh, companies who are interested in, co- in, in people performance and culture management had been uh, antiquated, hard to use, very old school, uh, last generation type of software. And what what CultureAmp did was they brought this new user interface, this new way of doing things in a much more simplistic way uh, and a a much fresher sort of a software package. Not only the components of the company, um, the people, the product, the customers, the greater vision is an impressive part of what Bill's investing in. What I did notice is that there's this thread that sort of runs through them all, and then that is that they have a common purpose. And the common purpose is they want to build a really great company, and the common purpose is also they want to help other companies manage their, their people resources in a much better way. And so they have this uh, common mission that was, um, that was baked between themselves over a period of time, and uh, they, uh, it's sort of their life's work. You know, they, they're dedicated to this purpose. 
they have a vision, they believe that it is something that needs to be solved, and they're going after it and solving it. So what I noticed is that as a team, they all had this common mission. And I also noticed that um, you know, as individuals, they had known each other for periods of time. They each had complementary skill sets. And uh, they struck me as just a team that could execute things. Because every time I would talk to Didier, for instance, I'd ask him about something that he told me about you know, a month before, and he actually executed it and did it. So you know, it's always a good sign when they uh, can get things done. And one of the things that we look for, uh, that I personally look for in all of the companies that I try to invest in and the individuals is what I call, or some people metaphorically call, the GSD gene, which is the get stuff done gene. And these guys all had it. The effort and enthusiasm for getting things done is a fairly common theme with Culture Amp. Doug mentioned it about co-founder John Williams building some software in five languages over a weekend to test each one's performance, and it's something that attracted Dr. Jason McPherson, the chief scientist. We've met him in previous episodes. Within like a week or two, uh, the team had just built something. So, so for me, I was like, wow, these, these guys, you know, they're really serious about this, and just show, they showed their, the dedication and kind of that they showed made me think, hey, yeah, I want to work with people who have that kind of dedication. Before we get back to Bill, one thing to note, Felicis Ventures has already invested in companies like Shopify, Warby Parker, Fitbit, Dollar Shave Club, Twitch, which had an exit to Amazon, and of course, many others. It's just off Sand Hill Road, out the back of Stanford University, opposite the National Accelerator Laboratory. Neighbours include a roll call of famous VCs, KKR, Sequoia Capital, Greylock Partners, and Anderson Horowitz. So we decided that we wanted to be an investor, and uh, that investment was actually <clears throat> led by Felicis Ventures out of the US. So I spoke with Wes Chan, who's the partner there, who was leading that. and. Uh, Prior to making the investment decision, one of the things that we did was we went and we talked to a number of, of uh, customers because we, I, I like to understand from a customer's point of view what is the value that the customer is feeling from the product, what's the utility value, and, what, and actually what is the problem that's being solved. So I'd had some very, very positive uh, discussions with a number of their customers, uh, all of whom you know, said essentially the same thing, and that is that all of the software to manage culture and to manage people um, heretofore had pretty much been terrible. And that um, what, what was presented to them by using CultureAmp was an automated, um, easy to use package that enabled them to do some things that they had never done before. So the first round, the Series A came in at $6.3 million quite a leap, but the growth strategy of getting huge, fast and raising money isn't the only way. I'm Dr. Michael Cameron. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Rome to Rio. He was working on Rome to Rio years ago in Inspire 9, next to Didier, and their businesses have grown up together, albeit using one key point of difference, cockroaches and unicorns. Michael explains. You know, the cockroaches versus the unicorns. So businesses like uh, Rome Rio are a bit like a cockroach approach. 
Um, we haven't raised a lot of money. We grow with revenue. We stay profitable. Um, and it's certainly one way to grow your business. And then there's the, the unicorn approach, which is, I think, a bit like the culture ramp approach, which is you can raise money, you hire, you think big, you grow big very quickly. And I think they're both great approaches to build a business. Uh, it's just there's two different ways to get there. Um, I think what Culture Ramp have successfully done is actually um, raise money from great investors here in Melbourne, and that's something that's hard to do and quite impressive. This is a risk-averse market. I mean, a lot of people talk about that. So when it comes to raising money from investors, you need to have some traction. You need to have made some progress before you go out to the investment market and look to raise funds. So for Rome Rio and Culture Ramp as well, if you look at both our businesses, we made significant progress before we went and then raised money. Um, and that allowed us to raise money on good terms from investors that we liked. Um, and that set us in a good position for growth from, from that point forwards. Culture Amp had achieved most of this when they raised profitable. Like Doug said, there was a pathway to them owning the business and remaining independent of investment. They were an experienced team rather than a group of first timers. Martin Hosking, CEO and founder of Redbubble, another Victorian-based startup in the hundreds of millions of dollars worth, agrees. If you're going out to raise capital uh, and you, um, the, you have to have a good reason why somebody's going to invest in your business, and let's talk about early rounds. Um, it's very, very few people, it's just going to be the, the idea itself is so compelling that people are going to put money behind it regardless. Um, typically, uh, there is going to be, you're going to have to have a number of things come together. Either you have already got something which is, you're showing people which is already working in some form. So that would be an example of Facebook uh, was an example of that. Uh, Google was an example of that, where somewhere though technical expertise was there and then it was already running. Um, you. The other one way in which you can make it work is that you've um, you've already got enough of a track record as an individual and your team that they're prepared to back you. Uh, that was the case of Redbubble, so we uh, you know people put money into us very early on, and they were prepared to back us. Back to Bill again in the Sydney locomotive shed. The ability for him to attract a firm like Felicis and a firm like Index Ventures, in addition to us Blackbird, is a strong indication of the class that he and his co-founders have and the quality of the company and the management team because you don't attract those kinds of um, investors with those amounts of money unless uh, you have uh, world-class a world-class management team and world-class ideas and world-class products my expectation and and their expectation is they're going to take the dollars and put them to good use and not waste them the expectation was they would grow from x to y before they needed to raise their next round of money and they did. Series B and C followed fairly quickly from largely the same venture firms. Now, these venture firms, they're taking a global view more than ever before. They, they look at things all over the world. I mean, Felicis is in Silicon Valley, Index is in Silicon Valley and Europe, and they're looking at ideas and businesses um, through a world lens. And here was a Melbourne-based company that in every respect stacked up to the rest of the of their portfolio from an investment point of view. If they didn't stack up and they weren't a world-class company, then these guys have no compulsion to invest in them. That's not to say all of their experience has been so positive. Doug remembers what it was like shopping around one VC in particular. 
they're always pretty interesting or uh, interesting experiences. Why? Um, I think the it's taken us a while to work out what VCs are looking for versus um, you know what we as founders think is important um, and trying to align those. Um, but also, I mean, part of it is also just working out which VCs are well suited to your idea as well. Um, so I think that's been a bit of a journey. Um, probably one of the one of the one of the VCs that we went to see in the early days that sticks out as particularly memorable was um, Didier and I. Uh, going into a, a VC where there were two partners that were in the room, and almost from the start one of the one of the partners quite literally had his feet up on a desk was looking at his iphone and pretty much much paying no attention to us and the other partner was actually listening quite intently as didier went through his slide deck um and didier it was probably about 10 minutes in didier had been through all of the you know where we're at what we're doing all of the all of that side of it and he got to a slide that was supposed to be more about the where are we going? What's the big vision? You know, what could this become? Why is this why is why is this company that got the potential to become a billion dollar company kind of thing? And uh, it was he was quite literally halfway through this pitch, and the and this partner stopped him and said um, said um, why would anybody survey their employees? And at that point, we just kind of looked at each other and went. I don't think this is going to work. So it got to the end, and and he basically gave us the don't call, don't call us, we'll call you, and <laughs> that was the end of it. So yeah, we got some. We've had some interesting experiences. What did um What did you say to Didier? Or did he say to you after that? When you were like walking to the car. <laughs> um, I I can't remember to be honest. It was um, I think I think it was pretty. Uh, I guess there was there was lots of like discussion about was that was that really just a clever question to see how we reacted or, you know, do they really think that nobody surveys employees? <laughs> so I don't know, it could be either, but um, yeah, it was, it was an experience. Back in the taxi, Didier is off the phone. They've got a term sheet from Felicis, one that resembles the terms they discussed in the meeting with their advisors the day before. And they think about whether or not to sign. Do we take this one or do we go to market and fly over to the US and try and drum up a better deal? We made the call at the end of the day that we'd probably get a better deal if we went and pushed, but would it be worth the extra two, three months? And would we find someone that we liked as much anyway? And we made the decision that we wouldn't. So we just rolled with it and said, all right, let's go. Did you have a drink at the airport? No. What did you do at the airport? Got on the plane and went home. They'd had a late night before and no one was in the mood for the airport bar. Signing the term sheet is the end of one process and the start of another, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, the legals and getting the check out from the US. Once a week, Didier coaches his son's basketball team. While Culture Amp is waiting to pop the champagne, the hours are counting down to Didier having to head off and coach the game. And so it kind of dragged out and then it wasn't going to happen during the day and because of time zones and so on, we missed the cutoff to get a check out of the US. And so uh, we eventually got it all signed off at about 7pm and everybody had been, actually it wasn't 7, it was like 5pm or something. 
but like we'd been sitting there with the champagne on ice and everything at work and of course just sat there the whole day and then I had to go and everybody had to leave <laughs> I got the call literally before the basketball game was about to start to say okay it's now finally done I'm like okay cool and then yeah coach the basketball game and then Did go you home uh, I told my wife. While you might think it's a point to jump around a bit and clink glasses, it turned into a moment of acknowledgement and also one of realisation for Rod. You know, funding's funding, but um, and, it, and, it, and it sets you on a certain trajectory and how you want need to grow the business. But for me, um, it was just great validation that... that Others saw the potential in the business that we were, that we were building, and they saw so much potential that they were, they were prepared to throw a chunk of cash at it, and then um, and then back us with it. So it was great validation that the problem we were solving was pervasive in the market, and there um, and you know, there were some investors that really thought we could make a really big splash with what we were doing. It's exciting to sign the term sheet. Uh, from that point on, it's just it's a grind, and so it's more relief when you finish it rather than actual celebration. The first one when you do your first raise is kind of interesting because the numbers are much more real. You know, it's the first time you're actually talking about decent size of money and you go and look at a bank account that's, you know, been sitting at around $10,000 for X years and suddenly see something with millions of dollars in it. That bit's kind of cool. Um, but after you've done the first one, <laughs> 5 million, 10 million, they look kind of similar. Yeah, well, you, you just you, you calibrate differently, and it's not to devalue the money. I mean, it is amazing, but you don't necessarily feel excited about it anymore because you, you know that it, that's in and of itself, it's not going to solve anything. You've still got to write the code, you've still got to win the customers, you've still got to do all those things. Did that alleviate the sort of the stress and the effort and the sort of maybe second guessing that might have happened in the lead up to? Um, I'm not sure that that it. That it'll, alleviated the stress um, because I think at the time once again this every time we hit one of these milestones as a, as a company it's it's the first time we're doing it so I, I, I hadn't had experience taking funding before um, so there was probably a little bit trepidation as to what what does it mean to have new board members um, what are their expectations going to be how are we, are we going to have the same level of control how are we going to run it before we signed that first term sheet the company was you know basically ostensibly it was the four of ours and you know raising our series a and then the b and then the c that's followed and each time giving away a chunk of equity and another board seat um that's been a transition from it being our company to it being uh you know something that sits sits outside of us if you if, if you know what i mean so i sort of feel like now I'm, I'm a part of Coltramp, but back then I felt like Coltramp was my company. With some money in the bank, Coltramp discovered they were in their own hip chat slack situation. They'd inadvertently decided to go hell for leather at the right time and the cash was going to come in handy. We're really glad that we did that because it was only after we raised that first Series A money uh, that we found out about a, a, a stealth startup in um, in the in the Bay Area that was uh, was coming into the same same area. Glint, people powered success. If you're enjoying Scale Up from Launch Vic, leave a review where you're listening, 
or share the show on your socials. And for more information about LaunchVic, go to launchvic.org. It's Victoria's startup ecosystem development agency helping to build the infrastructure for entrepreneurs and startups in Victoria. Next episode, Culture Amp scales up.